Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. We got a little different setup this morning. Hope you don't mind. Speakers, and I want to thank Peter. Thanks for helping out in the back today, bro. Appreciate all the ushers, all the servants who are are helping out. Thanks for uh, uh, taking care of the kids in Manila in the Philippines. I know it's close and dear to uh, the Viverdi family and uh, the great uh, memories they had. They were actually in the mission field as missionaries there. At least Aldi was, and that's where he met Maricel. And they got married there, and they helped out the church there for many years. And so it's just good to see that attachment. It's great to see Juan excited about uh, the next ICOC hot news in, in Central America. That's coming up next month, so we're excited to hear the good news in Tegucigalpa. I hope I said that right. Um, thank you, Josh, for uh, uh, the contribution. Give or die, I love that. Uh, give or die, uh, the Ananas and Sapphires. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but it's a, good, uh, it's a good passage to go, whoa, I better take this seriously. Uh, the Lord is messing around there. Uh, we need grace, right? Uh, you know, we're, we're doing a series called Transforming Grace, and I think I can speak for myself and for you. We all need this. You ever, you know, we all have terrible days. Yesterday I had one of those terrible days. You know, where I was, I was hopeful in the morning, and you wake up one, it's going to be a great day. I mean, most days that are horrible usually start out that way. It's going to be a great day. That's why they're so horrible, because your, your expectation is so much as, it's going to be an awesome day, it turns out to be a terrible day, and it's one of your worst days, and then it just messes with your mind. Yeah. Yeah. So I woke up, it was soccer Saturday. I love soccer Saturdays. Get up, have a good time with the kids, breakfast, motivating the kids to get, get ready for the game. We play our first game at uh, 11 o'clock. I'm coaching the team. I'm, I'm a kind of a co-head coach, and uh, the other coach wasn't going to be there, so I had full reign and I had a strategy. Uh, I had the game going on. I, had, I tried some different things, and we'd practice all week for a whole week on just specific things for the girls to do. And during the game, you realize real quickly that everything you taught them, they forgot. <laughs> like, what happened? And so when it became 1-0... Then four zero, then five to one, and then nine to one. And her parents are like, "Isn't there a five goal mercy rule?" And I'm like, "I'm like, forget the mercy rule. We're not playing good soccer. That's why we're getting crushed." I was more like our team versus what their big bad bully team is doing to us. They were obviously running up the score on us, which is not allowed in ASO. But I didn't even care. I'm like, we deserve it. We deserve. You know, it's like one of those days where it's like, we are getting what we deserve. You know. And then uh, Jaden broke his arm this week, and he had, his, he had a soccer game for his, his team. He couldn't play, and the team won. And you're like, oh, I wish you would have been a part of that. And there was this kind of this day. And then, then the negative thoughts start coming up. You know, you're at home, you're going, my team isn't that good. <laughs> and it started, you start picking things about players, and they're not this, and they're not that, and they're not this, and they're not that. I wish you were that, I wish you were this, wish you were that. And, you're all, and my daughter's hearing this. And my daughter is in earshot of me complaining about her team. So you try to tuck your daughter in at night, you know. Try to tuck her in, like, you're oblivious to what your, you know, your belligerence have, has bestowed on your family. And you tuck her in, and she's like, she has that, oh, what's wrong, honey? I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, oh, Karen must have done something wrong. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder Karen, I wonder, I better, I better, I better be here for her. Uh, I said, okay, we'll talk in the morning then, we'll talk in the morning, and then uh, I, I went to bed, and then I, I hear the door open about a half hour later, uh, Juliana, and Ju- Juliana and Karen walk in the bedroom, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, I had a slumber, hey, what's going on, are you okay? What's happening, you okay? Turned out that all the things, neg- negative things I was saying all after the loss, my daughter was just devastated. Aww. 
and just broken heart. She was crying in her room because of the things that I was saying about, about our team. Like, We're terrible. It's not good. I was super negative and just crushed my daughter's spirit and totally oblivious to what the impact of my words had on her. You're, I'm just sitting there humble going, what have I done? And then you know, after you feel so guilty, you can't sleep. You know, you're like, you know, you, you reconcile, you apologize to her. I'm so sorry, sweet. Thanks for, thanks for sharing, coming forward, telling mom and telling me. I appreciate that. You know, I'm really sorry. And, you know, great forgiveness, great restoration. But then you're, you're left with this feeling of, man, I'm a terrible parent. I am awful. I broke the, the parenting 101. Do not do that. Don't get crazy at home, right? That's 101. Don't get crazy at home. Your kids can hear this stuff. And, you know, I felt like I deserved death. I felt like I deserved the lowest, I mean, form of punishment, stress positions, throw me in prison. I just felt so terrible. <laughs> felt so terrible. And I can stay there and, 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 and lather up in the, in the vile, I, I hate myself feel. I can stay there for days. Even weeks I can be there. That's why this lesson is so important. Because... When we understand how terrible we feel at times and things that we do in our lives, not only toward the people that we love, but a God who we adore, we feel horrible. And so it's this transforming grace that can change us in amazing ways. That's what we're doing in this series. Number one, you have to understand that you are a person who sins. That's for those who are oblivious to the the fact that they sin. Like me, I was oblivious. Like, oh, it must be Karen. It must be somebody else. But it was me. I was the one. This is a study in contrast from death to life, from light to dark, from slave to free, from guilt to innocence. This is why this study is so important. You know, that song that we sang, you know, uh, what a savior, guilty, vile, and helpless we. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah. I feel that. Spotless, here comes Jesus, spotless lamb of God was he. And he says, full atonement? Can it be? I can restore the relationship. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen. What a Savior. When you really start to look at our own sinful nature. Hallelujah. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. You know, last week we saw how, how all of us are in desperate need of grace. Desperate because we are so sinful. Our sinful lives. And we read here in Romans chapter 3 verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law, you know, trying to do what's right. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin because of the Scriptures, We are fully aware of what's right and what's wrong. Maybe you didn't know. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you still don't know. We'd encourage you to look at the Scriptures. Because it makes it clear what is right and what is wrong. And because of that, we're aware. We're more heightened. We see how truly sinful we are. Our state, our our natural fallen state. But how do we get righteous? How do we get the grace? How do we overcome this? Now, in verse 21 it says, But now, apart from the law, 
the righteousness of God has been made known. There is a way to which the law and the prophets testify. You know, all of us, we are in a constant state of ruin. But now God has provided a remedy. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now don't get faked out with that word belief. That's not just an intellectual understanding. Because 99% of people that claim to be Christians have an intellectual understanding that they believe in Jesus. This word believe is a life change. It, it has altered the way you live your life. Not just an intellectual, I understand Jesus is the Savior. It goes far beyond that. And this righteousness is apart from the law. Um, it's a system that was set up for good works. And back in the Old Testament, they set up a system where you would obey God, but it was literally impossible to follow all of them. And that was by design. So you, so you knew you couldn't do it. You needed something more. So in the Old Testament, they sacrificed bulls and sheep and lambs and birds, all kinds of stuff to reconcile with them to God. But now Jesus came, the Lamb of God. And so we don't continually need to sacrifice animals. Because Jesus was the sacrifice once and for all. And because of that, hallelujah, what a Savior. You know, justified, it means it's more than just being declared not guilty. God's not just saying you're not guilty. Okay, Juan and Sochil, you're not guilty. That's kind of a good feeling, but that's not what it means. It actually means being declared Righteous. Imagine you go to you go to court for doing something, and you know the evidence is against you, and they have a circumstantial case, and you're found not guilty. People are going like, mm, I don't know if the jury got it right. Not guilty, but mm, could be a little shady. This is being declared righteous. Difference. It means God has charged the guilt of our sin to Jesus, and He put Jesus' righteousness on us. That's the switch. Hallelujah. What a Savior. We are justified by His grace. Here's what God could have done. You know, He has some options, you know. He is, a, he is an awesome, loving God. But, he, but from time to time, God will deal a, a death blow to some of us. As you saw Ananias and Sapphira, that's one. But in Second Peter, uh, when speaking about the rebellion in, 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 in the course of the angelic heavenly history, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to... Hell with an asterisk, that's actually a uh, a term in 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 your Bible. You'll see in the bottom if you have one of those Bibles. It's Tartarus, which is a location in Hades. Putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on his ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes... And made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. He says, aren't you more important when you're in Christ Jesus? He is, he is elevating a contrast. There are some things that God has done in the past. He could deal that blow. But He sent Jesus. So He would deal the blow to directly to His Son. And not to you. God has a righteousness that needs to be justified. Sin has to be dealt with. So the death blow that was intended for those of you who follow Jesus was intended for you, but given to Jesus. 
It was intended. Look at the things that God had done before. As they say in the streets, He don't play games. Right? God don't play, right? God deals with things very seriously. He flooded people. People died. But there were some who were righteous. He put the angels who rebelled in a dungeon, in a gloomy place, where all souls go when they die. They go to Hades. And they're there. And they're alive and they're, they're aware. He could have done this to us with perfect justice. He owed us nothing. We owe Him everything. But it's because of His grace. Because of the remedy. Jesus. He turns His wrath. Look how it says in 1 Peter. He being Jesus bore our sins in His body on the cross. That's why the connection is there when you say, well, how did He die for me? Well, He died for the sins uh, of the world, past, present, and future. He died. He took on your sins. He was put on for your iniquities, your transgressions. He bore them. So when He died on the cross, He took your sins. Knowing full well in the future, you would keep sinning. What a Savior, huh? What a Savior. But it's important to know that who, who presented Jesus as an atonement? God presented Jesus as an atonement sacrifice through the shedding of His blood. You know, there are three figures in the, in the, in the, in the Godhead. One is the Father. He's got a certain distinct personality and function. And He told the Son, your fun- the function of the Son and the Father was to become a man and go to the cross. And the Holy Spirit was going to come afterwards and guide us in all truth. So there are three aspects of God with three different distinct personalities and distinct functions. And this was the function From God to Jesus. You will go down and save the people that we have created. They need a Savior. They're fallen. They're in darkness. Yes, they deserve death. But we will save them. We will rescue them. And that is what transforms us when we think about our relationship with God. What a Savior. What a Savior. Why did He do this? There's only one reason. Because of His mercy. Because of His grace. Because of His kindness. That's why He did it. Because He cares. He genuinely cares about you. But there was a time when we lived, and this passage will speak to you, as Paul writes to the church here in Ephesus, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. There was a time. If you're a disciple today, there was a time where you were, man, you were dead. You were, you were not doing good. But it also says here, there is a Spirit, there is a spiritual force that is working powerfully in creating you to be a, a disobedient, unfaithful follower of Jesus. It's at work. He's working overtime. If you're visiting with us, there may have been distractions just getting to church. Get overcome. There is a nature at work who is trying to create in you an attitude to give up. It's not worth it. This is too hard. Don't even try it. That's why God gives us grace. That's why He gives us grace. 
captivated by the world, prisoners in our own sinful lust, objects of wrath, that's which we are. All of us who lived among them at one time, we were gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we are by nature deserving wrath. Even as a Christian, you can begin to live a life that's full of guilt and regret. And there are mistakes that we honestly make. But when we allow those to to really bring us to the point where we don't want to accept or acknowledge God's mercy or grace, we can get that way. Especially Latino people. They like to suffer unnecessarily. Because there's a certain pride about not getting anything free. That's why I don't see a lot of Latins for a handout. They're not on the street going, give me some money. They're saying, give me, I'll work for it. There's a certain DNA in our culture where we don't want to accept handouts. We don't want to accept grace. And maybe that's your background too where I don't want to accept something that's free. I've got to earn it. You know, the, the, the generation before us, they're a lot like that. They like, they like to earn the things. And hey, I don't deserve something. And we can get on to the same trap where we think we don't deserve it. We'd rather face death and punishment to make it right. But because of His great mercy, His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, He made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions or sins, it is by grace that you have been saved. By grace. God intervened in the process. Maybe you were met by someone who invited you to church today. Maybe a friend called you up and said, why don't you come out to church? God is intervening in your life. God is trying to get involved in your life. Maybe someone called you. You know, the cool thing about God, is He doesn't, he doesn't, leave, he doesn't want us to, us to stay or, or be in darkness. He doesn't want that. He made us alive. Do you feel alive this morning? Or do you feel dead? Do you need grace? It's safe. So the question is, how do we receive this grace? How do we get, how do we get it? Gio, tell me. Do I pray? Do I change my lifestyle? Do I get baptized? Well, the answer is all three. Let's take a look in Titus. This is a very fundamental teaching of the Bible. I, I encourage you, if you're visiting with us, to study it yourself. But this is a fundamental teaching of the Scriptures. At one time, Titus, uh, he's writing to Titus, one of the leaders there. We, and this is for the church, he's supposed to read it to the church. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. I don't know about you, that describes my life before I became a Christian. That was me. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared... He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at that passage. He saved us because of His mercy. The question is, how do we get in contact with that mercy? How do we, how do we get it? Well, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. You may be asking yourself, what does that mean? 
This is a great theme in the Scriptures. A theme that in our culture today is radically overlooked. In fact, people try to go around this every single time you go to church. They cannot deal with these passages because they're direct, they're precise, and it's the overall theme of the Scriptures from the Old Testament up into the New. Being, there's a washing. There's a water involved. The Holy Spirit's involved. And as Paul says in Titus, well, what did Jesus say? Are they on the same page? Is this not the Bible? Let's take a look. He says, to be honest with you, or very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. People want to say it's more spirit than water. But in Titus we see them both present. Washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, water and the Spirit. They both must be present to initiate, to start the process of you getting a relationship with God and entering that grace. Okay? Peter. So you you have Paul, Jesus, Peter. Okay? Peter replied to, to people who were asking, what must we do to be saved? What, that was the question. What do we do? He says to repent, change your lifestyle, and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. That's the mercy. And you'll receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit. There it is again. I go on and on and on and on. I could go on about Paul wrote about Moses, how they, they walked through the Red Sea and they were baptized into the Sea of Moses. Like we can go on and on and on. We can talk about Naaman in 2 Kings 5, how he was told to, to go dip into the Jordan River seven times and be clean and wash the leprosy off. There's so many. We can talk about the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. He says, look, there's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? It's everywhere. Yeah. It's a theme that gets overlooked or because it doesn't fit their, their preset theology, they avoid it or try to write it off. Because some, a lot of churches have a preset theology. They're not open to anything new. So the preset, they're not designed that way, so therefore they try to go around these and say, oh, that's not, that's not what it means. Yes, you're saved by grace. But how do you initially get the grace? How do you initially come in contact with the grace? One, you've got to start praying about it. Get your heart right. Two, you've got to start changing. And three, you get baptized in the name of Jesus. Well, Gio, is, am I working for my salvation? No, because work means you forgave yourself. I forgive myself. I'm, that's it. No, you can't forgive yourself. You can't forgive your sins. God does it. God washes. Let's take a look at Paul. He's sharing his transformonial. He's testifying about how he became a Christian. How he started his grace. His journey of grace. His life of grace. A man who persecuted the church. A man who arrested Christians. A man who was there when Stephen was killed and approved of it. This man was vile. He was dark and he was religious. And he says to the, to, to the audience, and anyone who will listen, he tells a story about Ananias when he was blind and saw Jesus. His, he could not see for three days. And, and Ananias says to him, you'll be witnesses to all people of what you've seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up. Get baptized. And wash your what away? Wash your sins away. Calling on His name. Throughout the Scriptures. And you can remember when you became a Christian, for some of you, what that means. Maybe this is a new teaching if you're visiting with us. 
We hope it doesn't startle you, but we hope it encourages you. Because this is what the Scriptures teach all throughout the Bible. 1 Peter 3 verse 19 says, And this baptism, it represents water, which now saves you. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We just got to understand, there's our part in the initial step of getting in contact with this transforming grace. Imagine for a second, all of your sins being washed away. Every thought, every thought of corruption you had, every thought of adultery you had, every thought, imagine everything you've had in your life being completely washed away. Because that's what happens when you come in contact, God says this, I, even I, am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. That's pretty cool. This expression states that He will no longer hold what you've done against you. Think about you and your last fight with your spouse. There's a record there that's in her heart and from time or his heart and from time to time it comes out. You're in a fight and she brings three months ago and she brings it back. It's it's just consistent with your behavior in January. Right? She just pulls it out of the hat and she's probably right. Because women are chronological. Guys are like, what? What happened in January? What happened? What? We don't, we don't, we don't remember. Right? Cro-Magnum man. We don't remember this stuff. So God says this, hey, we're trying to, well, I'm not going to bring something from the past Amen. and drop it in the present and say, what about that? Amen. We like to do that, don't we? We are a little conflict with someone. Oh yeah, this reminds me of back then. Same, same character. Boom. We do that. God says, I will blot out your transgressions. When you want to receive the grace, be baptized in the name of Jesus, God's all, I will remember your sins no more. I won't use them against you. It's pretty cool. Blotting out is a legal act. I I blot them out. It's legal. Remembering no more is a relational act. He wants the relationship. He's like, I'm not going to hold that against you because I want this relationship. That's pretty awesome. And and that strengthens your relationships with with each other when you say, you know what? Not only am I going to blot it out, but I'm not going to bring it up. It strengthens your relationships with each other. Because if we're going to follow a God who who gives us grace, and that's next week's lesson about how do we give grace to others? How do we live that way? Because, you know, if we don't, there's a problem. How about this scripture here? Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, amen, we did evil things, we take responsibility, Lord. But now He has reconciled you to, to... he reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. You know, every week we're accused of something, aren't we? Yeah. Just, just try to live a week and just count the accusations. <laughs> count the assumptions that people make about you. Just count them. Just do yourself a favor and count them. It's an, it's an accusational world out there. And then when you get when you get home, count them in your count them in your house, right? I love when my kids do something that, that my parent thought I did, and I didn't know. I'm going, I didn't do that. 
I feel a relief. Like, she, I got accused, but it was somebody else this time. Finally, somebody else. Finally. Right? Imagine a relationship where you're free from being accused. Imagine a relationship. Imagine one of your closest relationships where you're free from being accused. That is the relationship. There is a if to that relationship. You got to continue in your faith. You can't give up on the relationship. You got to be firm. You got to be established. You cannot move from the hope of this way. You cannot abandon your relationship with God. He says, hey, I'm willing to blot it out. Never bring it up. Never accuse you. Don't leave this relationship. Don't. He wants your relationship with you. That's why he will, he, will, he will bring it up. He'll blot it out. He won't accuse you. Free. But you've got to keep the relationship going. You can't give up. We cannot give up on our relationship. Amen. And there are too many of us who are tempted so greatly to walk away. Just to walk away. It starts slowly. It starts slowly. You come into church at 1045. It starts there. That's where it starts. Those are the warning signs. If you didn't know that. It's a minister's trick of the trade. That's a sign. Tip. Right? It slowly starts. Slow. You miss here. You miss there. Slowly starts. He says, if you continue in your faith, and you keep yourself established and firm, and do not move from the hope, because there's, remember there's a, there's a spiritual forces of darkness that's trying to get you to move away from God. If you hold... You will have a relationship with God that transforms you because He will show mercy. He will not treat you as your sins deserve. So if you're visiting today, visiting today, I'm going to be available in the back. I'd love to meet you. Get to know who you are. Welcome to our church. We're a great family church. We, are, we believe in the Bible. We believe what it speaks. We, we, you know, we really go after We follow it. We're a church of relationships. We love being in each other's lives. That's why we became Christians. We didn't become Christians just to show up on Sunday and, and, and not know anybody. We want to know you. We want to get to know you. And we want to let you understand that we serve an awesome God whose grace is transforming. Thank you so much for your time.